0: hi, this is Tony Ganon, and you need more front wing? And I love that. That's my favorite word when I tell my interview. Hello and
1: welcome to the uh, ever-elusive and uh, extreme off-season more front-wing podcast here we are we decided uh, i think last time when we did the 100th podcast we decided that uh, we don't talk to you guys often enough during the off-season so here we are you get to listen to us prattle on about indycar racing hooray i'm steph wallcraft joined by my co-editor paul dalby and also by uh more front-wing contributor john lingle who we are very pleased is uh, becoming an increasingly frequent uh, um part of our podcast uh, great to have you guys along and we also this week had a chance Well, we i should say me I guess because I had a chance to speak with James Hinchcliffe who was uh, home in his hometown of Toronto speaking to the media up here and I had a chance to join in and have a little chat with the mayor of Hinchtown and cover a whole bunch of topics that we think will be of interest to you and so we will get to that in a little bit but uh, it turns out guys that we've got quite a lot of news to cover for being the end of February which is nice considering that we went through all of December and January with pretty well nothing to talk about which was uh, getting a little bit depressing but now there's all this stuff, and of course the um, the biggest news of that being the uh, the return of uh, Jacques Villeneuve, and I'm sure, as you can imagine, I have a number of opinions on this um, to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for this year's Indianapolis 500. And I don't want to start the thing off with a massive rant, so I'll let one of you guys go first. Who wants it? Uh,
2: I, I think I may be the uh, the uh, positive one on, on this. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if everybody else's thoughts on it, but you know, I've, I've seen a, a varying a variance of opinions on twitter a lot a lot of negative uh uh thoughts uh, towards Jacques. but uh know, yeah, i really don't see how this is a bad thing you know if you if you do a search for for jacques villeneuve and the indy 500 you've got results from bbc cnn uh, and some other outlets like that that are at the top of a, of a google search it doesn't happen all that often with indycar these days so you know it, i really don't see how it's anything but uh But a good thing we need more cars right now we're nowhere close to having 33 for the 500 and uh hey you know uh, if there's more than 33 he'll still have to qualify his way in he's got the budget for the race he's a past champion past formula one champion uh you know do do i think he'll be competitive in the race that's another story but uh, (laughs) i don't i don't see any problem with it paul
0: I'm kind of a take it or leave it attitude at this point. I see where he's a benefit. I see where people kind of have a leery attitude toward it. I guess in my mind, I don't, I I guess I'm more positive than negative to it. It, It's another name. It's another someone for people to follow. It's somebody who has a polarizing, who polarizes the fan base. You either really like him or, or, or a lot of people really don't like him, not, He's like a mini version of Paul Tracy in a lot of ways.
1: That's a bit um, harsh. I don't know <laughs> I if I could buy so. into that.
0: I say he's a mini version. He's not. <laughs> he's not as polarizing as, as as Paul Tracy, but he's not a Scott Dixon either. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of people on either side about Jacques Villeneuve. Um, but uh, I, I think he he brings a name recognition. Um, he brings. Uh, maybe a little bit of the old guard who haven't been paying attention to IndyCar racing in the Indianapolis 500 for the last um, you know, 15, 20 years maybe. They see him, maybe they tune in to watch him and something piques their interest. Exactly. Uh, so, so from that standpoint, I, I think there's, there's a lot of positive to be gained by it. Is there negative? I don't know that there's really a negative. I, I think a lot of people are saying that by bringing him back or by him coming back that you're trying to, again, pull glory from the past and and rest on those laurels. And I don't think that's really fair. I think there's – I think he genuinely has an interest in doing it. Uh, We'll see if he's competitive. We have seen uh, people come to Indianapolis with very little experience in these cars. I think it's Scott Speed a couple years ago who who had uh, experience in in a lot of other open-wheel cars – um and, and and it didn't work out very well for him in that situation. But that's that team was that, that 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 team was very different than the team that Jacques Veneve is stepping into. Sure. So I, I I think that I think that if he runs well, I think it does good for the series. If he runs poorly and becomes a non-factor, then I think that's ultimately where it ends up. Is he's just it's a story for now. Bring some attention to it, and he'll ultimately fade away if he doesn't. If he doesn't produce results,
1: all right. And I guess that's interesting that we've gone in that order because I'm—I I'm, wouldn't say that I'm violently against it. I just don't see the point. I don't. I—I I get what you guys are saying about it being, you know, any news is good news where IndyCar is concerned, and if it's—if it's getting hits across the internet, then then great. I look at it more from the perspective of Jacques' legacy for himself he's the only Canadian who's got his face on the board worn a trophy right now. And that is something that I can tell you Canadian fans are very attached to and it's very important to us. And so for, for him to go back to Indianapolis 20 years later, and at least he's with a respectable team, but I don't think that like, we're not putting him into a Penske or a Ganassi car here. And he's just, he's, he's putting a lot on the line to gain what he's already won the thing. Um, 20 years later, I don't know what exactly he thinks he's going to accomplish in a one-off or what he's got left to prove. Um, and in the last few years, Jacques has had a bit of a habit of, uh, I speak like I know him personally, but I'm a, I'm a <laughs> an analyzing where he's gone in his career. He, uh, he He's had a bit of a habit of, since the, the rough years in Formula One, sort of flailing from ride to ride and not really doing much and he's got this air about him right now of just the the sort of delusional middle-aged dude who doesn't want to let go and i i really hate to see him do that to himself because he was such a he he was just such a hero and such a great legacy for his to, from his father in his family name especially to the canadian fan base in in 1995 and it's sad to see that sort of get frittered away i think a little bit um and it's almost it's almost difficult to bring this up given michael schumacher's current condition but i think of his his little jaunt with mercedes in formula one in kind of the same light, light i mean when when schumacher was with ferrari in the years where he was just winning and winning and winning and winning the whole deal was unstoppable but when he went once he had his comeback it sort of started to throw questions into the ferrari years that didn't need to be questioned like you know was it his age was it the was it the cars was it that the team was not the same makeup it, it just it, it wasn't it it tarnished to me that legacy a little bit and I, I hate seeing Jacques do the same thing one thing I will say is people are making a lot of comparisons to Jean Alesi, and I don't see that as being the same kind of situation at all Jean Alesi had never run in the brickyard in his life uh, he had been out of a car for what twelve years. He was totally there to be a marketing show for for Lotus. He ran twelve laps and got parked in a in a car that was never even close to being a contender. This is not the same situation, but it's not it's not a you know it's not an Allens or senior in eighty seven either. I don't think.
2: Well, I tell you the the one thing that's this bothered me the most. I think that I've seen from people is is that they make almost a direct correlation a lot on social media where people seem to think that that Jacques Villeneuve having this ride uh, with Schmidt Peterson has somehow stolen a ride from a younger driver. Uh, And I've I've seen uh, Sage Karam's name, uh, Connor Daly's name, uh, Stefan Wilson, uh, a bunch of other names thrown out there. you know, as if there was uh, some kind of Craigslist ad out there you know, <laughs> with, a, with a ride up for bids.
1: Until and, we know where Villeneuve's money, out. yeah. Until we know where Bill money is coming from, that's an impossible argument to make. It could be that he's yeah. paying his own way, for all we know. And he's, and you know, I mean, once we see what how the car is painted up and what name is on the side, we'll be able to make some extrapolations from there. But you're right. I'm unless one of those young guys had the same amount of money I mean people seem to think that team owners should should you know put guys these young guys in the cars cars for free for the good of the sport and I see their point but these team owners are businessmen they're not out to they're not running charities for the sake of IndyCar
2: yeah well especially with the money involved you know if you're talking five hundred thousand a million dollars whatever it costs to run for for a month of May program nowadays to be to be competitive uh, you know, the people that have got that kind of money, they're going to want to say in who they're putting in the car. Yeah. You know, so it's it, – I would I like to see all those guys I just mentioned have a ride at Indy? Yes, I would. I'd, I'd love to see every one of them in a good car. We'd have bumping on uh, on Saturday, and it'd be great. But, you know, it's an apples to oranges comparison when I see people talk like, like Jacques Villeneuve has, has personally went and took a ride away from these people. Well, they didn't have a ride to begin with, yeah. and, and I hope they'll find one. But he's he's the easy guy to vilify right now, uh, so there seems to be a lot of that going on.
1: Sure. How do you guys see this compared to sort of the the uh, the Juan Pablo Montoya returning situation? Is it is it a comparable thing to you, Paul? You want to take that one?
0: Well, uh, Montoya is obviously a little younger. Do you know how much younger he is? I'm guessing. I don't offhand. Some years, somewhere five, six, eight years. Not probably the six to seven years younger. Um, but Montoya comes from a different recent past. I mean, a, as you touched upon, uh, Villeneuve hasn't been in a a top level open wheel car since 2006, uh, when he was last with Sauber in F1. Where Montoya, he hasn't been in a top level open wheel car since uh, 2006 as well, I guess. Uh, but he's been in a in, in NASCAR for the last six or seven years, and and it's not like and I mean, time. we we like to make we like to make fun of NASCAR, but it does take some talent, and and, and you have to have your skills uh, pretty sharp to to run in NASCAR, um, which kind of pains me to say, but you know, <laughs> to I'm, make my point here, I'm proud of you. To, to make my point here, uh, you know, Montoya ha- has kept his skills very sharp over the last several years, where Villeneuve maybe hasn't, um, you know. Been at that level of his career there are a lot of people that would argue that even before he got out of f1 his skills weren't what they were obviously when he won the the world championship in 97. so i think saying that that montoya going back to reclaim his old glory uh versus Villeneuve coming back very very different argument it's it's kind of uh i don't know what analogy to another sport but Villeneuve is so far removed from that. I think you could make that argument a little bit more about him than Montoya, who's never really left the the limelight in the last, you know, since he was last at Indianapolis in 2000.
1: Well, the other thing about Montoya is he's at least I I know that nothing that he's running before they get to Indianapolis is directly going to give him anything anything to to work with in terms of of you know, the skills that you use at Indianapolis, but at least he's all in and at least he's going to have some kind of feel for the car for a couple of months before he gets there for the month of May. I think that's got to count for something and he's training a lot harder too. I mean, we don't know what kind of training Villeneuve is doing, but we know that Montoya has been busting his butt to get himself ready for, for this season. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I guess we'll know more by the time we get through, say, Long Beach, in terms of how uh, how well Montoya is um, is adapting, but to me, he's he's going in with a little bit better of a base. John, anything to add?
2: Well, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, if they do any type of testing prior to Indy uh, with Villeneuve to try to get him up to speed. You know, do they go show up at another speedway somewhere and 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 try to log some laps with him? Uh, you know, with Montoya, I think we're all just kind of wondering is he going to be able to get that last tenth or two that he needs to really be up at the front mm-hmm. uh you know that he was lacking in, in testing that, that he's even said you know i just need that little bit and uh with bill especially if he doesn't get in the car until he shows up in may and with his with his real scattershot schedule that he's ran that y'all both touched on I, I, we just really have no idea what to expect out of him mm-hmm. you know it's, it's 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 more of a uh you know is he going to be safe is he is he gonna is he gonna be a uh you know, a hazard on track, you know, when he first gets there, or is, you know, it wouldn't surprise me either way. Uh, you know, if he shows up and it's pretty quick, he's, he's had a lot of experience, so I could see that, but uh, I could see him being well off the pace too if, if he comes in, like you said, and it doesn't look like he's trained and tried to get in better shape uh, or done any testing. Uh, prior to showing up
1: so. well one thing that's got to be said about Villeneuve is at least he's uh he's giving good publicity but to the series by saying that he was jealous about how good the racing was and that's why he wanted to get back in so uh, I thought that was an interesting comment how about this Kurt Busch news does that move a needle for either of you John
2: you know I, I'm still in the I'll believe it when I see it yeah. camp uh you know he kind of talked about it last year um you know, with a with a bigger ride now with his NASCAR team, you know, with the team he was with in NASCAR last year, it wouldn't have surprised me at all. Uh, uh, being with Stuart Haas this year, uh, you know, with the millions of dollars that Gene Haas is, is putting into that program uh, to basically run Kurt out of his own pocket, uh, you know, I, I, I just – can't really see them being too enthused about him running the double if they think they're running him for uh, for a championship.
1: But uh, I mean, if anybody's going to be supportive of that, you'd think it would be Tony Stewart, right? The dude broke his leg running a sprint car last year. <laughs> He's not one to talk. Yeah,
2: you know, I don't I don't think he would veto. But but then again, on Kurt, uh, I don't think he had a say on Kurt coming to the team anyway. Well, uh, that's you know, true. <laughs> <laughs> Gene pretty much admitted that he did that while Tony was was off healing that leg. So yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, Kurt, Kurt and Tony have a, a, a very checkered pass that's got a few punches thrown. Uh, so, that, you know, that, that may be a little bit of a ticking time bomb anyway. But uh, um, if, if he does show up and run, um, it'll it'll garner some attention for sure. Uh, you know, he, he's more successful at NASCAR level than, than uh, A.J. Allmendinger's been. And, uh, you know, A.J. drew some publicity last year. For being here in a Penske car, if if Kurt shows up in a uh, Andretti car or something similar to that, um, you know, I think it I think it'll definitely uh, draw some attention to the Speedway.
1: It'd be interesting to see how much practice time he's able to get in, uh, mm-hmm. getting around his NASCAR schedule too. Here's the last one of the uh, the drivers who may or may not show up for the month of May this year that uh, just came out today and thought was kind of interesting. It's, it was just a flippant quote, but it certainly caught my attention was Robbie Gordon saying, hey, if uh, if Jacques feeling jealous and thinking about going back, that makes me think about it too. Now, this guy is one who, um, you know, even though he's about the same age as the other guys that, that we're talking about, this sort of the old guard here. This dude shows up for the Dakar every year and puts his heart and soul into the thing and, and uh, he's he is one tough mutter um, still to this day and, and that would actually be not as needle-moving but maybe a little bit more exciting in terms of uh, in seeing what he could do. Paul, does that resonate with you at all?
0: No, I, I think there you're stretching for somebody who was looking for glory that was never there in the <laughs> first place.
1: Well, fine, he never won or anything, but... I
0: mean, he, I mean, yeah, he came within five corners of winning the race in 99, but other than that, you know, from an IndyCar career, is pretty unremarkable, and I don't know, I guess there's a lot of people that would say over the entire course of a career is fairly unremarkable. Um, I
1: wonder if Robbie's come into his own a little bit more later in his career, though. I wouldn't be surprised to see that.
0: Uh, I could see Robbie coming back to Indianapolis as a car owner. Not necessarily as a driver. I think his his days of driving indie cars are pretty much. The, I think that book has been closed. John, I, I I don't see that coming
2: back. Well, it, it's a two part answer with Robbie. I, I, I'm I'm tend to agree with Paul as far as competitiveness. If he were to show up, but that said, we're talking about Robbie Gordon. Nothing he does would surprise me uh you know it wouldn't surprise me if he showed up with two cars at indy i mean he he seems to be that guy that gets a wild hair every now and then uh, i know at one point he built a monster truck and said he was going to go run monster jam and i saw pictures of it and i don't even know what happened to it i don't know if he sold it or wrecked it or what but uh i don't think it ever made it out there but you know you just never know what is, is going to pop into his head and and you know he runs his own deal so uh <laughs> You know, who knows? I, I, hey, I, like I said, the more cars, the merrier. So I, I, I hope he does.
1: As long as he doesn't try to set up some ramps and run those stadium super trucks down the front straight, I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd like
0: to fun. see George Phillips' face when that's happens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Somebody put a camera on him. That'd be awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough about talking about old timers who might show up at Indianapolis. Let's move on. Um, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, James Hinchcliffe was in town in Toronto doing the, the hometown rounds uh, with the media, and I had a chance to have a chat with him about some, uh, we, we talked about quite a wide variety of topics, and he had interesting views on all of them, as you can imagine. Uh, he spoke about um, racing with his hero, Jacques Villeneuve at Indianapolis, and uh, a number of other topics, such as what he does to get himself into uh, the right mind frame to go racing, uh, his deal with Honda Canada, and, um, and the promotion that he'll be doing for the them this year and uh, all kinds of other stuff. We'll just let you listen in and let's get that started right now. James, welcome home. <laughs> Great to see you back. I'm, we're really starting to enjoy these winter visits that we're getting from you. I don't think you could possibly have picked a colder day, though.
3: <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Weather nature doesn't always uh, always cooperate. We'll
1: take heart in the fact that it's not much warmer in Indy right now. That's true. Sure. I mean, you could grab a beer if you wanted to yeah. warm up. <laughs> That's right here yeah. at Steam Whistle Brewery in downtown Toronto. Great stuff. Um, so I'm looking across the street at the convention center, and that is uh, that takes me in a good direction to start because just two weeks ago we were across the street there hearing about the beginning of your relationship with Honda. Canada. Do you want to talk a little bit about where that came from and uh, what that's going to entail for you for this year? Yeah, sure. It's
3: it's something I'm very excited about because when I came into the series in 2011, I was a Honda driver, but uh, and, and I sort I started that relationship then. But at the time, obviously Paul was still there, and, and you know he was the figurehead for Honda Canada, and, and that made total sense. But we, we kept in contact, and uh, when Andretti announced they we were going to Chevy, I kind of thought, you know, it's. It's unfortunate in that respect. I mean, you know, I was very happy my my years with Chevrolet, but uh, I knew that that was one one relationship that we were going to have to kind of put on ice a little bit, mm-hmm. and, you know, lo and behold, things all kind of came full circle, and it, it did not take long after Andretti made the announcement that we were going to Honda that we got in touch with uh, with Jerry and, and started those conversations again, and, you know, for them, it's... Uh, it's trying to use racing to sell cars you know and and having a Canadian driver in the sport and and, you know doing doing all right helps a lot and I'm gonna be helping with a lot of promotion for them doing a lot of charity work for them and you know that they've been such a big supporter of IndyCar and and the race in Toronto specifically that uh, it's just it's so cool to be part of the family I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Fantastic they had a show car painted up that was on display at the auto show and I gotta tell you the new colors this year, with the blue and the 27, and just the way it's laid on the car, kind of gave me chills a little bit. It's a little bit of a classic Canadian livery kind of look. Was that deliberate?
3: It, it was. It wasn't uh, because you know UFD's colors are UFD's colors. We yeah. obviously had no say in that, but um, you know I think I think some of the design cues. Uh, I, actually, I, I don't want to say that some of the design cues were picked up off, uh, off those cars. It's just kind of how a race car looks good in those colors, you yeah. know, and, and for years it was the players' colors and that dominated Canadian Open Wheel, mm-hmm. you know, uh, homes everywhere. and. It's it's kind of cool now to have you know a number that means a lot to Canadian racing and uh, a color combo slash scheme that does the same thing.
1: I think it's going to help people here at home connect with you even more just uh, just having that classic look to the sure. And speaking of blue twenty sevens, that segues well into a topic that's going to be uh, a hot one for the next few days, of course, struggle of uh, racing in this year's Indy Five Hundred. Good thing, bad thing. Uh, Bet you never thought you'd race against the guy at the brickyard.
3: <laughs> Strange thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's uh, for me selfishly, it's great because he was one. Of, he was one of my heroes growing up. I mean, I followed him through the good and bad. You know, I was part of the Jacques the fan club and got my letter <laughs> every month. And awesome. So you know, I, I, I yeah, I never thought I'd get the chance to do that and to get the chance to meet him and get to know him a bit and race against him is is, is awesome. Um, I, I don't understand necessarily what the motivation mm-hmm. is. I mean, I guess a, a racing driver is always a racing driver, and indie's always Indy. So I, I guess I can maybe kind of understand it. Watch maybe the hypocrite in a couple of years when I'm you know, <laughs> 42 and and then still trying to make a, a ride work. But uh, no, it's it'll be interesting to have another winner returning. We already got Montoya, yep. and, uh, and now Jacques on the on the scene. It's going to be interesting.
1: Very cool. Um, Speaking again of Honda, so you you talked earlier about how you started out with Honda, and then, you know, the the new engine formula came in, you were with Chevy, now you're back with Honda, forgive me for not knowing this, how much time have you spent with the engine so far, the twin turbo?
3: I've done uh, two tests with the twin.
1: Okay. Everybody seems to be saying that they're pretty happy with it. The only illusion that we've had to, that there might be any concern, is uh, Ryan hunter Ray saying in media Day that he thought that Honda had uh, a lot of work to do to catch up to the level that Chevy has been operating at because they've got the two-year head start. What's what's your perspective
3: on it? Well, I mean, yes and no, because the, the new format of the engines, Well, uh, let me put it this way, the, the rules are they open up every two years so there's a lot more room for development over this offseason than there has been the last two right so yes uh, Honda are switching from single to twin but Chevy have had to adjust the size of their turbos so right. it's not completely the same for them either and some of these other areas that have been frozen the last couple of years it certainly it, it opens up an opportunity for Chevy to pull ahead but it also opens up an opportunity for Honda to make some headway mm-hmm. so I think there's still a lot of unknowns and we don't know as much about what Chevy are doing uh, as we would have let's say if this switch happened last year because of the, the, the restrictions in the engine rule. so it, it's really gonna be a lot uh, a lot of surprises I think at St. Pete I think a lot will be learned at St. Pete where everybody stacks up but we're obviously going to keep pushing them as hard as possible and you know they're a company that's motivated to win anyway so when you've got a motivated company being pushed by a motivated group you know together hopefully we can make some magic happen.
1: Great. So you had to uh, give up Craig Hampson for the greater good uh, to to go to the R and D level for the for the team wide, and then uh, you, you would you use the word poached Nathan, or <laughs> <laughs> from uh, from Sarah Fisher? I guess.
3: I mean, <laughs> Jenna Fryer accused me of kidnapping him, I think. But uh, yes, no, we we did. We we managed to acquire Nathan, which was uh, a huge one for the team. I think he's. He's been on the team's as writer for a couple of years, and and with Craig uh, moving to the R&D position, it opened up a great opportunity for him and for us. And so far, the relationship's been great. You know, he's he's very similar to Craig in a lot of ways, which is good. And still having Craig as a resource to bounce things off of and get up to speed on what we've been doing the last few years has been uh, been a tremendous asset. So I'm I'm not predicting any problems there, any any worry about the get to know you phase. I think that by the time we get to St. Pete, we'll be ready to race.
1: This time last year, you and I talked about the introduction of the double header weekends, mm-hmm. and you uh, you were pretty sure at that point that they were going to be a one and done, and that has turned out not to be the case. Um, how have you come to terms with it? Have you just kind of accepted that it's a, fa- a factor of life and, and uh, found ways to cope and, and deal with it, or what's your perspective? Yeah, that, that's a tough
3: one because I still fundamentally am against them. Um, for the, the I. The biggest reason is because of the unfair swing it puts in the championship. Um, yes, it is physically exhausting for the drivers. Yes, it is physically exhausting for the teams. Uh, there's, genu- there's genuinely a safety issue, I think, mm-hmm. that comes up with them. But I don't want to be seen as the whoopee driver who says he can't do two races right. two days in a row. Yeah, I'll do that, but I, I don't like what it does to the championship. However, there's no doubt that what it does for the, uh, for the fans and for those particular venues is huge. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, as much as we like to think that this whole circus is happening for us, it isn't. It's happening for them. And so, that's what the fans want. That's what the fans get.
1: I wouldn't ask this of everybody, but I'll ask it of you, because I think you'll have an interesting answer. Um, IndyCar is greeting up now with Simona heading off to F1 without a female a, a full-time on the grid for the first time in a decade. How do I'm going to leave it open in that and just say how does that resonate with you? Do you care? Do you not care? Does it matter in the grand scheme do you think?
3: You know it's funny because Simona always really took the approach of wanting to just be another driver mm-hmm. and, and didn't uh, didn't sort of gravitate towards extra attention from the female aspect um, and, and credit to her for it but you know we've always tried to look at it as you know an equal sort of opportunity situation and whether there's a woman on the grid or not it's it's all about the drivers you know it's not really about the the sex of the drivers and right. so you know we're gonna miss her she was a, a great personality she was a great little driver and uh, it's too bad for us that, that she's not going to be there but you know maybe maybe it does open the door for someone else you know there's uh, there's definitely a demand I think and a a fan interest in having females in the sport because we're the only professional sport that allows men and women to compete at the same level so hopefully in the future we'll see some more coming on in.
1: Last question and uh, this one I'm going to try to drill into your head a little bit because Carlos your new teammate um, said something at the media day that I thought was interesting where he talked about he was talking about the personality differences between you and him how you're very outgoing and and he's very shy and he said but but both of you are sort of the same in a way because when you put the helmet on it's all business and I don't think that people necessarily think of you being that way, but naturally it's something that you have to be to, to you know, change your focus and, and, and your concentration level as a professional racing driver. How does that happen for you? Is it literally like you put your helmet on and it's a switch that flips? Or do you have to work at it? Or what's more natural state for you?
3: I mean the more natural state is the goofy you know, jackass that you see <laughs> at the track normally or away from the track or on TV or whatever um, but, but no I mean I, I, I worked with a mental coach for a number of years when I was young uh, learning how to flip that switch because it is very important mm-hmm. and you know I think for a lot of years I took a little bit of flack in the industry as uh, maybe not taking my job seriously now people didn't think and you know i I proved in the lights and then subsequently in indycar that the funny guy could still get the job done on track and and i think for me it's sort of when the anthem plays is when things really switch for me you know i'll joke around with my crew and family and sponsors right up until that time and i know as soon as that anthem's done i have to go straight and put my helmet on you know earpieces in, helmet on and get to work and uh i feel a physical change in me a, a very clear mental change and after that it's all business
1: Very cool. Thanks very much for your time, and see you in St. Pete. Absolutely. All right. Great. Thanks. Always great to have some time with the mayor of Hinchtown, And it uh, seems like engines are going to enter the discussion a lot this year. And, uh, you know, we've got the, as James spoke about at length, we've got the the Honda switch to twin turbo, the adjust in size of turbo for the Chevrolets. But that's not the stuff that's making headlines this week. We're hearing rumors that Cosworth might be interested in, uh, in fielding an engine, uh, for IndyCar but there's quite a lot of uh, backroom dis- discussion going on about that as well of course but it's just interesting to see the topic sort of come up at all I know it was one that that uh, you were quite keen on Paul and uh, have been following pretty closely do you want to give a rundown
0: obviously with with Cosworth history at Indianapolis or, or IndyCar in general anytime you talk about Cosworth coming back it's a big deal and it's something that's going to to stir a lot of emotions uh I I don't know that we're really that much different than where we were, you know, two, three, four years ago when this engine formula came out. I think a lot of people said Cosworth would come back. When when uh, when Lotus came in with, with Judd, there was a lot of talk at that time as well that Cosworth could be coming in um, to make a fourth manufacturer. I think a lot of people would like to see it, but I don't know that what Kevin Kalkovin said is really different than where they have been all along. Yeah, we'd like to do it. Somebody show me the money. Um, so so who's going to step up and show them the money? Um, yeah. Then this brings in the whole other argument of the IndyCar regulations with requiring a, a, an engine manufacturer to badge, or a, a car manufacturer to badge an engine. Uh, you know, it's not the 1980s anymore where Cosworth can just come in and run as a Cosworth. They need to be rebadged as a as a, a well, Ford, for example. Well, the relationship there,
1: yeah, with Ford. So I don't think right. that would be a, a difficult hurdle to to jump. But, John, no. didn't you say that you had interpreted one of the quotes from Kelkovin as as meaning that the series might be the problem?
2: Yeah, it seemed to kind of insinuate that. Uh, I, I didn't see that in uh uh tony's article which was was the first one um you know made comments that the that the series wanted to partner causeworth wanted to partner kind of the same things paul touched on you know yeah we we want to do it we're capable of doing it we're set up to do it but we need a, a, a oem partner to come in and just to uh, stop
1: you for a second there you're talking about the article story from tony to at nbc sports a good friend of, uh, of more front wing in the podcast carry on
2: yes and uh and then whenever i saw a a second article that marshall pruitt had done on racer uh, it, it seemed to kind of insinuate that there was that the series might almost be kind of a roadblock uh to some of this happening as far as agreements that the, that the oem partner would have to make with the series as well as with causeworth um you know i i don't know i I'm, I'm a little leery of it it'd be great if they could come back in um, the one thing I looked for that I didn't see in there, and uh, I know they're uh, Kevin's a businessman. He's got to play it close to the best, but you know I didn't really see any hints of of discussions taking place with any of those OEM partners. They kept talking about when we need an OEM partner, we got to have an OEM partner to do this. But I didn't see a lot of, and we're in discussions with them, you know, or, or you know we're in elevated discussions or anything like that that made it made it seem like it was in the horizon. It almost seemed kind of a shot across the bow to um, um, maybe remind people, hey, we're here and we can do this. We'd like to do this, you know, yeah. come come talk to us. You know, we, we've got the, the manufacturing in place. We could do this. If if uh, the right partner comes along,
1: well, we've heard from more than one um, more than one place in the last little while that people are sort of a little bit with IndyCar in, in a bit of a wait and see holding pattern for the next year or two years to to see if uh, a the the series does land a new title sponsor, which is a very important key factor for a lot of people. We're getting a lot of questions, by the way, from people about um, about the title sponsor, asking when we might hope to hear. All the indications that we're getting right now is that anything that might come out will be very close to St. Pete if not at St. Pete or slightly after so I don't think you need to be holding your breath just yet Um, but I know a lot of people are waiting to see if they can they can tidy that up uh, fairly early in the season and also just looking for some more scheduling stability, some more sponsorship stability, some more stability in the teams that are showing up through the field uh, before a lot of these outside uh, potential partners are are interested in investing. And I wouldn't be surprised to learn that the Cosworth was sort of in the same boat.
2: Yeah, and I I will say, too, on on the Ford, I think everybody would like to see it be a Ford Cosworth just for the historical connection and everything there. And and obviously, this is, is from something that I talked with last year. But uh, when I interviewed Mike Shank last year uh, about the engine situation that they had for Indy, uh, I talked with him about some sports car stuff, uh, just kind of uh, off the deal because it wasn't going to go on a more front wing article. And I specifically asked him about Ford and IndyCar, if they'd had any any discussion since he had such close ties with Ford. And uh, I don't think Ford is, is interested uh in the IndyCar formula, because it's not a production block, and and they seem to be putting more money into sports car racing uh, and and the and the series that have you know more production tied technology to them. So we all see the EcoBoost and say, yeah, that'd be great. You know, we've got twin turbos; that's a twin turbo motor. Uh, but you know, until Ford makes that decision to go away from it having to be a production block, I just can't see that partnership happening. Now, I would throw out one name. I would I would hope that that I could possibly see happening would be a dodge you know they've uh with their nascar uh, relationships ended you know that was some money i know they poured a bunch of money into their uh well the, the gt Le Mans program that they have now with the viper uh but i could see them possibly uh having some interest that you know it would, it would be nice to see a third manufacturer come in i think everybody uh, series and drivers and fans for sure would like to see that happen
0: well,
1: I'm we've been hearing
2: for different. several years,
0: though, about somebody from the Fiat group, whether it's Fiat itself or Volkswagen. Well,
1: Fiat um, is Chrysler now. Don't forget. Same company. Right.
0: Okay, and that's right. that's what
1: I was about to say, is that Fiat Chrysler is a little bit too busy with their, their restructuring and their sports car programs right now to have very much interest in open wheel, I think, unfortunately. I don't see that happening in the near future. So I would take them off the table. Volkswagen, mm. When, you, when you're getting into the Volkswagen family, you've you got a lot of potential there because you got your Audis, but they've never had any interest in doing – you really need to, to find partners that are interested in doing heavy marketing in North America. So I think once you get – you're going to have a hard time doing much of a sell on any of the European guys, and I think that that's what, uh, that's what Randy was finding when he was flying over there is that, that they did – when you get into the sports cars, and GT specifically, um, there's a there's a lot of interest there. But the, the connection from IndyCar to, to the brands is so flimsy that the European guys just don't see the benefit. So um, I, I don't see any of that happening. I, I, I wonder if maybe Toyota would be interested. Hmm. Not with Cosworth necessarily, but...
0: Not the way they got run out last time.
1: Yeah, well, there's that. So anyway, Kia. Hey, let's call Kia or Hyundai. <laughs> that could be fun. The Koreans are, uh, are making some interesting cars lately. never know. As,
2: as long as it's faster than the Lotus, I think everybody would be just fine with it. <laughs> Absolutely. No matter what name's on it. Absolutely. Uh-huh.
1: All right, I think we've beaten this topic to death. Let's move on to a worse topic. Are you guys ready for this one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like we, have no. to, we have to address it. We have no choice. John Barnes. <sighs> swing IndyCar and everyone in sight because he's taken his bat and ball and gone home after he didn't win the the National Guard sponsorship seventeen million dollars for one car, guys. One. But he's case. not
0: going home. He's not going home. That's the problem. He
1: should be going <laughs> home. I think he. Well, he didn't claim his leader circle money, and you know that if anybody's going to show up for the money, it's John Barnes. So that that's the red flag for me. I don't know. I don't. You know the thing is. Here I go again, guys. I'm sorry for for the rant that's about to erupt. But if there's not a rule somewhere in the rule book or the, I don't know, there's got to be like a membership agreement or something that IndyCar has. If there's not a rule in there somewhere that says that if you are in active litigation with the sanctioning body, then you are not allowed to compete in our series, then there should be. I'll bet you NASCAR has one a bit ridiculous oh yeah i i'm sorry i'm gonna take you guys to court and take you to the cleaners but i'm also gonna claim some prize money okay what
2: yeah (laughs) yeah and let's not forget he's already lost in court once on this yeah there's already been litigation on this as far as uh uh you know he alleged improprieties uh as far as the uh the sponsorship deal that uh ray hall beat him out with yeah, because he uh, and, because
1: Ray Hall won and he didn't and he considers that an impropriety. <laughs>
2: That's about all that yeah, he can and, come and, up uh, with. And and he just can't imagine that it has anything to do with the fact that they asked for five million dollars less and we're guaranteeing probably basically the same or more exposure uh for five million less. so uh, doesn't even take 12, a math major to figure out
1: even twelve million dollars well, is a lot of money for a single card team. I don't think you'll find, absolutely like even the Penske's and Ganassis aren't pulling in quite that much per car I don't think if it's pretty darn close
2: so yeah, that's, that's that's no drop in the bucket no sure. That that's a, I'm sure the fact that, fraud- that they've probably already
0: paid him you know somewhere around in the 75 million dollar ballpark and they still haven't won a race yet that probably doesn't help his cause either
1: yeah, well there is that, and then <laughs> doesn't Dale Jr. go and win the Daytona 500 with National Guard blazoned across everything? Oops. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and well, it's and, not exactly like Dale's won a whole lot of races either. Let's be fair. No, here.
1: but he just won the important one. And that's all it matters. Well, a- I know, but won. the
0: lawsuit. I mean, yeah, but he had already they had already lost the sponsorship before that and gone through litigation round number one well, before true. the. So sure this not. doesn't help his appeal, maybe, but <laughs> a...
2: hey, hey, he he fired Jr. Hildebrand for the troops. Weren't y'all paying attention at in Indy last year? <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole reason he fired J.R., for the troops. Yeah, you know? and and I am not, uh, and anybody that follows me on Twitter reading my articles knows I don't really get into the American, non-American. You know, I, I just want fast drivers. I really don't care. That said, if if your sponsor is a you know United States government. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, entity. Maybe you should have thought last year about hiring one of the other Americans. If you if you're going to put somebody in the car of any of any of the 24 cars that normally show up, if if one car was going to have an American in it the National Guard car is probably a good bet for the one that should be.
1: And the, the uh, thing to bolster that argument is that all through the Dan Weldon years, people were still making that argument, and nobody worked harder for the National Guard than Dan Weldon did. I'm sorry. And so if yeah, Dan Weldon, yeah. he being an English dude who was transplanted and, and lived full-time in St. Petersburg, was not good enough for those people, then nobody was going to be.
2: Yeah, and and like I said, you know, I make that. Yeah, I'll probably get flamed for this, but the people that that have actually visited with me on this know know my my feelings on it. But you know, when you're pitching those sponsorships and you're having to defend those sponsorships uh, in Congress, which they did last year, some of this other stuff that comes up, you know you're not always talking to a room of us that, that are watching the racing and seeing the stuff that goes on. Mm-hmm. You're trying to sell it to people that have no idea where the track's at. Don't know the first thing about an IndyCar versus a NASCAR. You know, they're just, well, how much money is this? <laughs> What's probably, that guy's name? Uh-huh. They probably
1: think they're funding a two car NASCAR team.
2: <laughs> probably.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you're, you're absolutely right. And I think um, it, it's hard to look at this situation and think that, that, that any um, untoward decisions were made along the way in in this this latest process, but um, certainly certainly John Barnes throwing a hissy fit doesn't look good on anyone, and the uh, the subsequent staff exodus from Panther also uh, speaks a lot to to what's going on over there at the moment. So it's not I pretty. I
2: those guys got their last paychecks because given his history. Uh, you have to wonder. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I hate to be that negative, but there is there's, there's it's no true. one in IndyCar that I can think of. You know, he he's gotta be the, the least popular person in IndyCar and he's done it to himself with a history of things like this. You know, he ran Randy Bernard off. He's always been one of the guys behind the scenes leading the uh, the malcontents out mm-hmm. of the owners. He's he's never been satisfied with anything. He's had three drivers that I know of sue him for not paying him. Uh, you know, he's always talking about, oh, we pay our drivers, you know, paid drivers this, paid drivers that <laughs> while he has pending litigation from three drivers, you know, saying, hey, I never got my paycheck.
1: And so where you do know, you so, think that so that $17 million is going?
2: Exactly. You know, and, and, and I think that was the tipping point whenever people, a lot of people still had excuses for him, me included sometimes. And then when you see that and you see the type of money they're talking about. And you see all these other issues that, they, you know, they're not winning the cars, not all that competitive, uh, even with some, some really good drivers that came in it, uh, you know, people not getting paid, and, and you're, okay, well, where's all this money going? Yeah. It's got to be going somewhere.
1: Sure does. And it wasn't
2: going to the people. So,
1: oh. Not a whole lot more to say about that, unless you've got anything to chime in with, Paul?
2: Uh, no, I, I can't <laughs> even add to that.
1: <laughs> John and but I took care of that rant very handily. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and, and John, by the way, uh, I work for the state. I don't have much money, so please don't sue me. <laughs>
1: I'm
2: All the right. good guy. I'm the quiet one here. I like this.
1: <laughs> well, I, we'll let you start on the next one then because I'm sure that you've got some opinions on this topic. Mm. Um, the whole um, Garage 34 at in Indianapolis discussion that's come up, we've uh, we put this on our list. Um, I, I'm sure that everyone involved has strong opinions about it, but I expect Paul's to be especially strong. Go.
0: I, I I just, I don't like the idea. I really, I, <laughs> I'm shocked. I, just, I, just, I, I, I don't know. Well, first of all, look at it from a, a standpoint of, I hate class racing. I'm just going to say that, and I know I just pissed off the entire sports car community. I hate class racing. You either win a race or you don't win a race. <laughs> um, so I, I and, and in this particular case, I, I don't know what, the point of it would be unless they can unless this entrant can produce an entry that is competitive and and able to win a race or at least you know run competitively i don't want to see somebody uh, another entrant out there that's 30 miles an hour off the pace just because they're using green technology I'm going on auto race. I really don't care about politics, the environment, and looking green. I want to go see cars go really fast. I, and that's just the truth, and you know that's the conservative in me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I just don't. I don't personally care about it. I, I really don't. I don't care if they're on batteries or diesel or or 2.2 liter turbocharged engines. I want to see them go fast. Um, and if somebody's out there 30 miles an hour off the pace. That doesn't interest me. And it's dangerous. Yeah. Hey, we just kicked three Lotus, Lotus, Lotuses, Lodi, Lodi, <laughs> Lodi, we kicked them off the track after eight laps two years ago because they weren't within 10 or 15 miles an hour of the race leader. What are we going to do now when entrant 34 comes out there and can't keep it up within 30 miles an hour? Mm-hmm.
1: It's that, it's that well, closing the... rate that you worry about more than anything else. If it was You'll dangerous
0: for an Indy car, it's dangerous for any other car to be that far off the pace.
1: Yeah no it's well, look,
2: look at look at J.R. hildebrand's crash a couple of years ago mm-hmm. uh that was just passing a lap car on older tires it wasn't that far down but the way that track marbles up you know there's there's nowhere to go how big of a black eye would that be if uh you know if your race leader has something happen and it gets taken out or a really strong car gets taken out because of the garage 34 entry that's just out there logging laps you know the was there for the uh, for the grid picture really? Because because they're in a catch twenty two. It's either if you really open it up and somebody brings something really fast up there, and it is faster than your spec Galara's, well then you look terrible. And it, <laughs> that wouldn't be allowed it, to happen. Let's be real. It, exactly. So so that's what I was talking with uh, with Tony John's about that on Twitter. So what's the point? Yeah. If it's not about making the car fast, so okay, we're going to let you in if you're green and this and that. And you're slower than us. So why even bother? It, no, it, you know.
1: Then you get into the problem of then you're slower than us. And I think that the more relevant tr- crash example in this situation, John, is actually thinking back to Mike Conway launching off mm-hmm. Ryan Hunter Ray and yes. uh, the, uh, yeah. the closing rate that uh, that was the issue there. And just imagine that Ryan Hunter Ray being car 34 and what an uproar that would cause. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, I think, is just. Um, I think that Le Mans is the right place for this. I think I think that the sports car world is the right place for that kind of um, that kind of, of um, environmental uh, or green initiative or, or you know the uh, the R and D type entry. But if you really want to put it at in Indianapolis, don't make it Garage Thirty Four. Make it Garage Thirty Three and let them qualify their way in. Mm-hmm. And if they, you know, oh my gosh, it's like the old days. Can you imagine? People would go nuts if you're fast enough. You make it. If you're not, you don't. Whoa! What a concept.
0: Yeah, and I, I yeah. know there will be a lot is- of argument. There will be a lot of argument that says, you know, Indianapolis is all about innovation. Well, let me tell you, we're not in the 1964 race anymore. Mm. And I can I can list a dozen things without even blinking uh, of ways that we're just not in that. Indianapolis is different than it was 50 years ago. It's not a place now where it is necessarily about innovation. When was the last great innovation that came around in Indianapolis? 1994,
2: probably. Well, and
1: that's what they're trying to get around, right? And, and but this isn't the way to do it. This, is, this no, is
2: If you if you want to have the innovation, if you want to have green stuff, you know, and you're you're making rules packages for different races, open up some section in the rules on that when they show up at Indy, you know, and let teams figure out if they can, if they can figure out some type of solution, some type of hybrid motor, some type of battery, some type of whatever, you know, that that's within whatever rule package you allow them and let them innovate there and actually mm-hmm. race. And then exactly. whatever car you've got that innovated might actually win the race. And you can say, yeah, you know, they, they took this car and they innovated, you know, Everybody else had the same opportunity, which is what made it interesting in the '60s, '70s, '80s, uh, early '90s. Because, you know, everybody had the same open slate. Yeah, yeah, everybody doesn't have the same budget and all that, but everybody's got the same opportunity to to come up with an idea and put it into play. And then that would be, to me, that would be interesting. Then, then you've got true innovation, not not forced innovation. Hey, we got this one car. It's going to be here no matter what. Uh, you know, it's going to show up. We're going to take pictures and talk about how innovative we are. And uh, you know, like I said, it, it's going to be a dog as soon as it starts up. It's going to look like the like the uh, Mazda diesel prototypes did at the Rolex 24 when they're you know running <laughs> GT car speeds. Well, and hey, at least really good, one of those you know, would make,
1: at least one of those would make it to the end of this race. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's true. <laughs> I I just think innovation for the sake of going faster. Or finishing the 500 miles faster, even if you're 10 miles off the pace, but you can do it in one pit stop. Innovation for that, for winning the race, is certainly welcome. Innovation for making a political statement and saying that, you know, even though we can't even come close to winning the race, we can at least run in the race, has no business in Indianapolis. If you can innovate within the rules and qualify and run run in the race... I'm for it, but I don't want to see an extra entry available just for somebody to make a a statement or or be a demonstration for some other product.
1: The counter argument to that is that there is no innovating within the current rules, but now we're just talking in circles, so I'm not sure there's anything more to say about that. I think we've made our points very clear. Speaking of points being very clear, I don't want to spend too much time on this next topic, but it has come up since the last time we had a podcast, so it's worth at least touching on, and that's the departure of Simona De Silvestro. Um, when we talked to James Hinchcliffe earlier in the podcast, he um, he he presented sort of the the current generation's point of view, which was similar to the one that I I wrote in the piece that I did for Warfront Wing, and about the time that Simona's departure was announced, about sort of you know women should should get equal opportunity and that's great but it can't be forced and it needs to be you know it's a great opportunity for somebody but it needs to be the right person at the right time and and i think that that most people our age would be more or less agreed on that it's the the Bernal, bernie ecclestones of the world that worry me who uh, want to put a woman any woman in a car because it's good for marketing and we cannot have a series without a woman in it because uh because then people won't pay attention anymore. And that mentality really bothers me. And I guess I feel like because I'm a woman, that feels better coming from me. Because sometimes I feel like men think that they're going to sound like sexists if they talk that way. And I don't I don't think he would. But I can see how some people would think that way. So rest assured from me, you can feel that way. It's okay. I won't think that you're being a sexist. Because, you know, I don't want to see women forced into seats artificially either. either That's of you? good,
2: Chris. That's good, because I agree with you there. I mean, <laughs> it, we've we've had, you know, any any novelty effect, if there ever was, that's long since gone in IndyCars. I mean, we had Janet Guthrie back in the 70s. You know, we've we've had Danica. We've had multiple females in IndyCar, and we don't need to have them in IndyCar just to say that, you know, we don't need Milka Duna in, in IndyCar so that we can say we have a female. Why did you invoke but,
1: the name of Milka Duna? You know. <laughs>
2: yeah exactly <laughs> but but it, but if you're if you're if you're fast and qualified to be there then I think it's fantastic like I was a huge fan of Simona in IndyCar you know mm-hmm. uh it was fun to watch her because she was fast not not fast for a girl fast for a guy she was fast mm-hmm. she was a she was a qualified driver and and you really felt like she could compete for the wins at least on the on the on the uh, road street circuits and tough as nails and, uh, too.
1: Some of the stuff yeah. she went through when she was an IndyCar man, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy.
2: Oh, yeah. you know, She's been set on fire, slammed into walls. I mean, there, there's no, nobody's questioning her toughness. I mean, she's, uh, you know, quintessential as far as far as that goes. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I think it needs to be somebody who's at the same standard that, that fills that gap whenever that right person comes along. Here's a big question for you guys and be be as objective as you can because I know that we're all big fans of, uh, of her activation on social media and stuff. What do you think about Pippa Mann taking that spot? Paul, I'll give you this one first.
0: Of uh, Pippa taking Simona's spot?
1: Well, Pippa, Pippa taking on the role of the woman in IndyCar. She's really the only person who's got an interest who's qualified at the moment.
0: Yeah, she is. And, and she certainly has... <clears throat> excuse me. I think she has the... The the uh, the support the fan base support. I don't know if she's ready to jump in that role f- uh, from a competitive standpoint on the on the road and street courses. i don't, as far as she hasn't run a road or street course uh, in an IndyCar sanction event since 2010, I would guess. Whenever her last year in Indy Lights, um, she hasn't done any testing in an in an IndyCar itself on a, on a road or street course. So I don't know that she's necessarily ready to jump into that role um, and be as competitive as Simona was on the road and street courses. Given the right set of circumstances, I think Simona could have uh, could have won a race on a road or street course. I don't know that Pippa's quite there yet.
2: John? Uh, I'd kind of echo Paul on that, and I know it's been tough with her because she's uh, – She's worked uh, extremely hard to to get to the point that she's at uh, and get the, the races secured that she has. And, uh, you know, there's always the question of, you know, when you're running a second uh, second car for some of these teams that you're hopping in, how good is it? You know, you're starting and stopping. You run here, it's three months before you run again. So there's not, not a whole lot of flow for it. Um, you know, I, I just I don't really know what the answer would be for her in the, in the current funding situation that she's in you know if the right sponsor steps up I, i think it'd be interesting to see what she could do uh, uh with a full-time ride uh, just i i haven't seen the 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 flashes from her uh that we saw from from simona and, and it may just be it has been too small of a sample size but uh
1: well, the funny thing about Pippa is that she came up through the European system, and then she landed in America, and all of a sudden she was an oval driver, right? It's it's sort of bizarre in a way, and I, I think, um, I like to believe that she hasn't been given a, a proper shot at the road and street courses, and that we we probably haven't really seen one way or another what she's capable of in an IndyCar, and and. Does that mean that – and here we are back to the same argument. Does that mean that she deserves that shot just because she's a woman? Not necessarily. But if the last time
2: – I was be curious. I, I know you, you spoke with her. I've only met her I think once, uh, so, so I don't know the answer to this. But uh, I know you've had more conversations with her than, than probably me and Paul have. Uh, is is Has she noticed anything specific as far as – has she – Campaigned with the sponsorship that she's had for Road and Street Circus, or has she? Has she, well, I guess I'm getting. At, has it been her decision to to focus on the ovals, or has that been the only <laughs> thing that's been offered to her?
1: No, she, she would run a full season if she had the opportunity, but it hasn't financially been there. That's so. right. Okay. All right, so we're going to let Paul take a break and and, uh, get a glass of water, because John and I are going to talk about Winterfest, and I don't... uh, I mean, you're welcome to participate, Paul. I just don't know if you actually really watched it that closely. Did you?
0: I did not. I I have to admit, I did not watch it closely. All
1: right, so go grab a beer, and John and I will run down Winterfest for five minutes here. (laughs) Um, And it was really interesting, I thought. Um, Winterfest was a great format this year with the the half event at uh, Nola Motorsports Park, half the event at uh, Barber Motorsports Park and uh, spread out over I think what ended up being five days, six days? I don't remember what the gap was in between, but uh, it was it was quite the epic series this year, and uh, and some some very interesting names floated to the top of the charts. Uh, I'll, I'll just do the the quick sort of statistic rundown of who finished where on in each series, and then uh, John and I can we can each talk about the names that stuck out to us. So um, Spencer Piggott, not much of a surprise there. It sort of lived a lot in uh, in um, Matthew Brabham's shadow last year in in pro Mazda but then again who didn't um and uh, so he came to the surface in uh, in the um in Winterfest for pro Mazda winning for uh, Yunkos racing and uh, I think he had two wins out of the four in that were run in pro Mazda. And the other two went to two Canadians, Garrett Grist, who, um, is a rookie in the series running for Andretti Autosport and Scott Hargrove, who was last year's USF 2000 champion and is running for the, uh, the new program with his team from USF 2000, Cape Motorsports with Wayne Taylor racing, uh, which is new to the series this year. And, uh, each of them both claimed to win in, uh, in two of the four races. So, uh, those were the names that, that came to the surface, uh, in in the running there any others that stood out to you in the pro mazda any any events that stood out to you in the pro mazda john
2: well i uh, it's it's on those names i was really impressed I, I was uh not all that surprised with scott hargrove but uh you know he had a uh, uh such a great season last year I, maybe just a tad surprised that he was already up on the top step of the podium in one of the races there. Uh, Garrett Grist uh, actually did surprise me a little bit. Uh, I figured it would take him a little bit longer to, to get up to speed than that. Uh, Spencer obviously was the, basically the class of the field uh, Mm -hmm. throughout the test there. And, uh, you know, I thought back to some stuff that, uh, that we, we featured in some articles here uh, on more front wing last year when I talked with Jeremy Shaw, um, I think the switch from Team Pelfrey to, uh, to Junkos is uh, is going to be a really good deal uh, for Spencer this year. Mm-hmm. And the, the test is already uh, kind of showing that. I, I don't think that it's just because Brabham's gone that that his speed is up there at the top of the charts already. Uh, I, I think there may have been a little bit of team issues uh last year behind the scenes, mm. and uh, I think he's going to be kind of free of that this year. So I, I really expect some big things out of Spencer Piggott this year.
1: And uh, Junkus has put together a very strong program for this year with uh, with four drivers uh, making coming out for them for, for Pro Mazda. So it uh, should be a very interesting team to watch for sure. Um, the USF 2000 was... In a way, just as interesting, maybe more so, R.C. Anderson, a name that we're not used to hearing at the top of the charts, with a team that we're not used to hearing at the top of the charts, Team E Racing. I think Team E is running USF 2000 for the first time in a while, if not ever. Do you know that offhand, John?
2: Uh, They weren't there, at least under that name last year. Um, No, they were not. I'm drawing a blank on them before, really.
1: They've run Uh, lights programs on and off, but I don't believe they've run in USF 2000 before. So uh, to come right out of the gate and put him... Uh, He won two races out of the six and uh, was very consistent in uh, in finishing in the other ones. And that was enough to get him over the top of uh, Michael Epps with Boulardy, who also won two of the races. And uh, two of them were on the same day, races four and five at Barber Motorsport Park. So um, that was a a very valiant effort from Epps to to try to take that away from Edison, but just wasn't quite enough to, to do it in the end. Um, taking a look at some of the other higher finishers, uh, some names that we should get used to seeing toward the top of the charts in USF 2000 this year, one that stuck out to me was Jake Aidson, who, of course, was one of the uh, Team USA scholarship uh, winners uh, who went over to the Formula Ford Festival in England to represent Team USA last year. Um, definitely one that we need to watch. Uh, Victor Franzoni won one of the races, and um, uh, I'm blanking on his first name, Top. Do you remember Uh, his his full name, John? I should have written it down. Clark Top, that's right. Uh, Won one of the other races. And uh, Aaron Tellitz with um, arms up. Motorsport did not win a race, but he was very consistently in the top five. And uh, Florian LaTorre as well was one who uh, who performed very strongly throughout Winterfest. And uh, so all of those names will be interesting to watch. Pretty well uh, a new list apart from one or two names at the top of the USF 2000 uh, list this year, as it should be. I mean, it's a development series, so you don't want guys sticking around for too long, right? So um,
2: yeah.
1: anything you want to add to that, John?
2: Well, let's see. You know it's new names but the, but the same result. Uh, USF 2000 is a cutthroat uh, grid from top to bottom mm-hmm. and has been. Uh, they've got that car. The teams that uh, run those cars seem to have them dialed in really well. Uh, Dan Anderson and, and uh, his group at uh, Anderson Promotions have done a great job with that series. They've got really good car accounts and, and uh, I just Folks, if, you, if y'all get out to uh, to one of these races where the uh, Road dandy guys are running, uh, USF 2000 is normally earlier in the morning. But uh, uh, if you get a chance, check out these races. I mean, the, it's some really, really good racing.
1: Provided they get through lap one without a yellow.
2: <laughs> yeah, Which well, yeah. If they, it, if they make it through turn one, it's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> racing. Yeah. If they don't make it through turn one, <laughs> it's very interesting racing. Uh, so, so, but
1: that's the thing—is that it's uh, it's all young guns going for it with their life, so uh, it's it's a lot of fun to watch because it's it's very passionate racing, which isn't necessarily something that you always see at the higher levels. So it's refreshing.
2: If you're one of those race fans that's irritated by uh, 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 drivers talking about points and and uh, a good points day, go check out a USF 2000 race, and you can thank me later when you see me at the track because uh, right. these guys are out there to win. Uh, they know they got to win right. to to get that Mazda scholarship and move up. And uh, they're after it, I mean, for just from the drop of the green. that these guys really get after it. It's great racing.
1: Fantastic. So we have a full rundown of all of the results from Winterfest. We've got race reviews for all six USF 2000 events and all four Pro Mazda events and the full finishing order for all of those races, all in one place at morefrontwing.com. You'll find the article toward the top of the page. And so if you are interested in the, in the lower rungs of the Mazda Road to Indy, please do check those out. Okay I think we're ready to just get to the housekeeping items before we call it a day. Um, One thing that did come up this week that that sort of got missed but we want to make sure that people find out about it is the uh, free Friday concept is returning to the, let me make sure I get this right, Chevrolet Detroit Belle Isle Grand Prix. it will be free once again to get in there say, thanks to Comerica. And so, um, if you're in the Detroit area for, for some reason, I'm going to be nice and not make any comments about why somebody would be in Detroit. No, Detroit is, has its, has its nice points. Um, if you are in the area. <laughs> If you're in Windsor, uh, go and check things out on Friday. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's completely open, I believe, paddock and everything. So uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out the um, the stuff going on in an IndyCar paddock before, please do go and have a look on that day. And I think Toronto still has the free Friday deal going on as well. Can we think of any others that do the free Friday? It's, a, it's an idea that's spreading and that's a good thing. It should be because it's a it's a really great idea.
2: I can't no. think of any, but I wish more would uh, would join in with that. It's it's a good opportunity yeah. to bring fans in, let them get to see the feeder series. Uh, you know, I, I wonder wonder how much it's really costing the promoters, you know, out of pocket for that day. You know, that it's normally not as good a crowd, and you might bring in some more faces that'll come back uh, the, the next couple of days.
1: Well, I know in in Detroit's case, they're they're getting some corporate funding to sort of ease the blow of that. Um, in toronto it's honda canada that foots the bill for it and then they they do actually collect money at the gate but that money gets matched by honda canada and gets donated to the make-a-wish foundation so oh, there you go. um it's a yeah it's a good uh, good charitable cause there um Carrying on with housekeeping, there is a tweet up that's going to be happening in the Indianapolis area on March 16th. A, a preseason tweet up being organized by Pippa Man and um, Amy from IndyCar Mom, uh, one of our, our favorite blogs in the IndyCar blogosphere. And um, that's going to be at Fast Times in Indianapolis. I, I think that you can find all of the details at, at um, IndyCar Mom. Com. great stuff being put together for, for the young kids, a QA and a and some goodie bags and then the older kids and the grown-ups uh, can have a little bit of a race off on track on the at the at the karting center. So it looks like a lot of fun. Um, Pippa will be there. I'm sure they're going to find lots of other guests that will be there. I believe they're doing a silent auction as well with some really interesting um, items up for grabs to, to, to raise some money for for charity. So the Twitter handle where everything is being coordinated from is indie fans Tweet up So if you look that up, then you'll find Find all the information that you need there and it uh, looks like it'll be a great time so March 16th do be sure to set that aside um, one last thing before we go and um, we don't like doing this and we've never done it before but we're gonna put it out there because um, it's something that that we're, we're gonna try because like I said we've never done it and uh, we don't talk about it much but we're, we're getting to the point where we're ready to so um, without seeming like we're walking around with our hands open, we have we have grown so much in the last four years and it's all been through the support of, of fans, uh, IndyCar fans, very passionate people who have enjoyed the work that we do and we're extremely grateful for that. Uh, we have gotten to the point with the site where the only thing that is holding us back from being at every single event and providing our trademark coverage to you is funding. And so the, um, w- what we want to put out there is just that we are now in a position where uh, we are an a registered business and we are able to accept advertising and sponsorship. So if you do enjoy the work that, you, that we do or you know someone that does or you know somebody who runs a company that might be interested in um, getting involved in a in a grassroots level in, in the IndyCar world and um, supporting not only IndyCar but the Mazda Road to Indy, please get them in touch with us. Because uh, we are, we would be very excited to provide some, some uh, advertising and some, some. Um promotion for a company that was willing to let us continue to do and grow on the work that we do Uh, you can reach us at feedback at morefrontwing.com we've got some packages put together that we can uh, we can send along to anybody who might be interested and um, we would be very grateful to hear from you because we certainly love everything we do here and uh, we greatly appreciate the support that we've received from fans over the years and we would like to do more of it so please do get in touch if uh, if you catch any wind of anybody who might be interested in such a thing now that we have sold our souls to the devil <laughs> <laughs> I think we're ready to call it a night are you guys uh, are you guys happy with with everything we've covered we haven't missed anything have we
0: I think we've Apart from a Paul lot.
1: heckling me on Twitter that I haven't been really keeping an eye on while we've been talking. I know that I know I'm know i going to finish the, the podcast here and go on Twitter and see all sorts of nasty comments. <laughs> it's been fun, and oh. we'll be back soon. I, I think, Cam, maybe two or three weeks. By then, we should have plenty more news to talk about, and we'll be ready to start getting into a um, little bit of a preseason preview, which we'll have plenty to talk about already because there's so much that we haven't covered here. The new team makeup at uh, Ganassi is a big one um, just the, the switch from Andretti from uh, Chevrolet to Honda is a big one lots of stuff happening throughout the field from top to bottom that we need to cover in depth before we even get the season underway in St. Petersburg and I will be in St. Petersburg covering everything live for more front wing by the way looking forward to that as well so now that February is just about done and March is getting underway I think we're finally ready to start looking at getting this season started huzzah All right, so let's call it a day and uh, get things um, wrapped up so that we can get closer to talking to you again next time. And uh, thank you all at home for letting us into your homes to talk IndyCar. And as always, if you need IndyCar news and views, get a grip with more Front Wing.